Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer and editor in Los Angeles, and I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Buyer, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So, today, uh, we're going to do it and be legends. Part, some some number or other, the, the same number of days that we've been stuck in quarantine. It is, this is day the... 472. It's been 84 years. It's and, um... <laughs> later. And, you know, pop culture news has been drying up a little bit lately. And so we decided to just give you guys an update on what we've been watching, what we've been loving, and uh, just kind of just talking about whatever has been catching our fancy in our latest Let's Do It and Be Legends quarantine edition. It's really funny. Also, because some of the pop culture news that's coming out is just depressing. Like, there is some news that's happening, but it just makes me really sad. It's all movie delays and production delays. It's movie delays. And then there's Quibi. And then there's Quibi. But, like, for me, I'm actually, like, movie delays or whatever to me, honestly, because I don't have any doubt that Hollywood will bounce back. Like, my biggest thing right now is theater. And you guys know this. I'm a big theater person. I have season tickets in L.A. A lot of my shows have either been postponed or canceled. Um But spring is a huge time for theater, especially Broadway and like West End, because that's when kids have off school and where there's traveling times and the weather's nicer. And so like that's when Broadway gets a lot of their money. And then the Tonys happen in June and Broadway shut down right now. The Tonys have been canceled. And this is one of those industries where like if they're not making the, the money that they need, there are some shows that might not be able to reopen when Broadway comes back. Newer shows like Six, which makes me upset because I think Six is a really groundbreaking musical, but there's rumors that shows like Phantom of the Opera, which is the longest-running Broadway show, could come back for some final performances, but then ultimately close because they don't have the money right now to remain open. And that, to me, is horrifying and devastating and heartbreaking And so it's been better for me to just like distract myself watching things rather than reading about entertainment news because it just makes me really sad, especially for theater, because it's just the way it works as an industry is so different than movies. Yeah, I mean, they're saying the same thing about the other theater, too. Like the movie theater industry is struggling a lot and there people are speculating that this could be the end of just movie going into in the theatrical experience yeah. uh, as we know it in general just like it could be forever changed like streaming now is just making a huge huge uh comeback or not comeback but like a, a big boom in general and um this kind of might just accelerate what was going to happen in terms of like, the theater versus the streaming uh conflict to begin with so it's a uh, it is, yeah. The coronavirus is going to change a lot of things. I feel like we're going in the direction that we didn't want to go in. Um, but Willby, yeah. what were you going to say before we Whoops. we, we fit, oh, um, I was, cap this topic? I was going to say that it seems like, like I don't like movie theaters and and Broadway theaters. Like, uh, it, it feels like I I I don't know like all the behind the scenes of like how shows work and stuff. But like, I'm bummed that there's like no failsafe for these for these industries because it because like movie theaters will eventually open back up again and broadway shows will well broadway theaters at least will come back but it's unfortunate that like there's not like these like you know sort of i don't want to say bankruptcy but like, like safeguards so, uh, some 
safeguards that keep the like these the these the 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 companies and the industries and like the thing the pe- people that own the theaters from and like the play is from like closing down which is unfortunate yeah it's capitalism for you baby anyways let's talk about let's, um, let's talk about things that don't that. suck let's get t- quibby <laughs> quibby like quibby Stop this is our quibby episode quibby happen on this podcast you guys we're not talking about it we will talk Wait, about it if talk about we start consuming again. quibby shows but we are not and so there is nothing to talk about other than that right. it exists mark this day april mark 20th day. 2020 420 <laughs> as the day that anya said we'll never talk about quibby shows because as you remember Perfect. last year she said the same thing about a certain musical adaptation called Cats, directed by Tom Hooper. And we did a whole whole dang commentary, which you can <laughs> listen to on our podcast feed. Um, we are now, the clock is now started. The countdown is going. Um, it is, we are, we are zero days since last nonsense. Um, Guys, Quibi has some of my favorite, like, white people, including Sam Raimi and Sophie <laughs> Turner. And I still haven't gone to watch it, so... I'm not going to watch Quibi. All right. We'll see. We'll see how it well, is in a year. We'll see. We'll be like, in a year, we'll, be, we'll, we'll introduce you to number one Quibi stan, Anya. All right. All right. All right. Anya will be the only person watching Quibi in March 2021. She'll be like, guys, <laughs> Quibi is so great. I'll be like, Anya. I'm just joking. <laughs> you guys are so good at this. You guys are so good at like just reading me for filth. <laughs> it's all true. That's the worst part. It's okay. I'm I'm pretty I'm open like a book and able to be read pretty easily. So, so speaking of uh, reading you like a book, I think there is uh something that you've been not super quiet about really enjoying recently. Um, hey Willoughby, there's this little thing called Stirwers. Stirwers. Huh. Never heard of it. Um, So I've talked about Star Wars, The Clone Wars, a lot on this podcast. Um, It is one of my favorite shows. It is Star Wars at its best. Um, And they are entering the final arc. Uh, Clone Wars has has been, uh, uh, across the seven seasons, has been told mainly through, like, multi-episode arcs where you, you can watch as sort of, um, individual stories of across two or three or four episodes. Um, and it's like some of the best like episodes of Clone Wars are like f- from a specific arc that you can like name. It's sort of like, um, you know, you know, which story, you know, when I say like the Siege of Mandalore, which is like the last arc, um, that's like something you can define or like the Mortis trilogy. Like there are certain like great arcs without throughout Clone Wars and like with that's one of like its defining features. So like, the season has been split up into three different arcs across uh, like four episodes each. And now they're entering their final arc um, ever, at least unless Disney plus is like, Hey, you want season eight, which is, which sort of doesn't make sense because what I'm about to say, Uh, Clone Wars, the television show is now overlapping with the timeline of the events of revenge of the Sith, the final prequel movie, that came out in 2005, which is about the end of the Clone Wars from Anakin and Obi-Wan's perspective. Um, this arc 
is called The Siege of Mandalore, and it is about Ahsoka Tano, who is a fan favorite, who ha- who it shows up in Rebels, shows up probably in The Mandalorian um, in season two. Um, and so, like, she's, like, a huge fan favorite character, um, and she she's sort of, like, the star of Clone Wars. She's the, She was introduced as a character for Clone Wars. She's sort of your, your point of view throughout the series. Um, so because we've gotten a story, the, the Revenge of the Sith story, story is already told, um, they decided to conclude Clone Wars through Ahsoka's point of view at, on Mandalore, which is the planet of the Mandalorians, the bounty hunters um, from like Boba Fett and Jango Fett, um, and the Mandalorian from Disney Plus TV show. Now, what is so exciting is that they knocked it out of the park with the first episode. It is uh, it is beautiful. I was crying. Uh, it is about the reunion of uh, Ahsoka and Anakin. Uh, she had left the Order right before, um, like in in the events of season five, uh, due to some uh, uh, conspiracy. Uh, and so she is. She was on her own. She had sort of like a Zuko alone arc uh, through season seven of Clone Wars, and now she's back uh, fighting uh, the Clone Wars with her own battalion of clones on Mandalore, fighting Darth Maul, um, who has taken over the planet of Mandalore. And so she is now on her way at the, uh, to retake the planet. Um, so for- meanwhile, meanwhile, okay. the Battle of Coruscant featured in the opening scene of Revenge of the Sith is happening simultaneously at the same time as this episode. So, like, I'm panicking, guys, because uh, Clone Wars has sort of redeemed the character of Anakin Skywalker and, like, all the different, like, things that people hate about the prequels, like, Clone Wars gets right. Like, the dialogue is... Redeem. (laughs) He is about to kill a bunch of younglings. He's about to kill a bunch of children! Yeah, in, like, five days. Um, But... (laughs) When I say redeem, I mean like the character of like pre Darth Vader. Anakin so they're not character. redeeming him; they're just showing what he was like before he becomes Darth Vader. What I redeem was the wrong word. What I meant to say is sort of they're they've the dial like it's not like he has a character. He's not a bat. Like the the voice actor is really good. Like Clone Wars has done what the prequels couldn't do, which is give Anakin Skywalker like a like a character, like you can see why people would think he's the chosen one, why he is called the hero with no fear. Like they've sort of redeemed his, they haven't redeemed his character, but they've redeemed the writing around the portrayal, his portrayal, the portrayal of of Anakin Skywalker. Okay, so Willoughby, tell me this. So though the final arc of Clone Wars, which is now airing, is going to be converging with Revenge of the Sith. So we're now getting in back yes. into like the movie canon. So like you know like they filled the gap here and now we're, you know, to run into the fifth, the Clone Wars will end. I haven't watched Clone Wars yet, um, yeah. even though I'm a big Star Wars fan, and it's definitely on my list. I feel like part of the reason I've been hesitant, um, other than just, I guess when it aired, I wasn't super interested in watching a cartoon series about it, but, like, I've heard how good it is and I really do want to watch it. That being said, I hate Anakin Skywalker. He is a villain, your least favorite kind of character. He is. Um, and I don't know if I want to watch him be a good guy <laughs> as an Obi-Wan stan. <laughs> Obi-Wan's great in the Clone Wars. He also has a, a, a bunch of great arcs. Um, you discover that my, he has... Will my ha- Obi-Wan Padme shipper be pleased? No, they barely interact with the show. Um, but Obi-Wan... Ha- 
Like they, yeah. they 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 flesh out his backstory and introduce the character of the Duchess Satine of Mandalore, Obi Wan's love interest from a past life as a Padawan. Um, a, oh, a past life? You mean when he was like just like younger? When he was younger, not, like, like the incarnated. Like, I was like, oh no, my no, god, no, no, sorry, no. So sorry. Past, I not need metaphorical past life when he was. When when Qui Gon was his master and he was like probably like a, like a teenager he was, or like he younger, was younger. Younger. <laughs> he was younger he was younger he was younger he was so cute so hot no. uh-huh. but, yeah, so, they give, so they give they give Obi Wan sort of a a in another life they could have been together sort of deal where like Obi Wan reveals that like if if Satine had asked him to leave the order he probably would at that point like it's a lot of heartbreaking drama there. Um, so like the the show does a really good job of fleshing out these characters that I'll are on one. Sorry, what you're t- watch it for Obi Wan is what you're telling yes. me. Yes, I mean I can give you specific like arcs to watch if you. Yeah, no, no, I'm not gonna watch them. Watch all of it, which I will at some point. I promise you. I promise you. I will watch Clone Wars at some point. I'm just so happy that it is so far going out on a high note, and that is clearly pleasing fans like you so much who have like been here for the ride. And are just so invested in the world of Star Wars and this mythos. And, you know, someone who cares about the arc of someone like Anakin Skywalker and who really fell in love with characters like Ahsoka. And it just makes me so happy. Like, when the first episode of this, like, final arc premiered, I remember on my Twitter timeline, everyone was just so excited and emotional. And it made me so happy because, you know, we deserve to have stories that we love and make us feel things. And so, like, I'm just really glad that it's doing that for you so far. Yeah. And... Sure there's going to be many say, tears in the future, but I hope they're tears of like, this is a really good storytelling. <laughs> that's what it is. And like, here's the thing. So like Star Wars, we've, we've, we have a lot of, we've had a lot of conversations more recently than not about like the dangers of nostalgia um, and like um, fan service. But the Clone Wars has for like, I mean, Clone Wars is sort of, uh, all up in the whole, like, we're going to reference things from previous movies and, like, lines of dialogue, you know, I have a bad feeling about this, that sort of thing. Like, a lot, like, they're they're, they're no stranger to, like, the quote-unquote, it's like poetry, it rhymes thing that George Lucas was sort of obsessed with. Um, but, like, they always did it in sort of, like, a fun, pleasant, like, not too in-your-face sort of way. It's like, it's like, oh, that's that was cute, that was fun. It's, you know, a fleeting moment. Like, the stories aren't based on that. Um but Clone Wars, every episode opens with the logo sort of going past you, like the lo- like the Star Wars logo, but it's quicker. And the theme song for Clone Wars specifically is like a war warified version of the traditional uh, Star Wars theme where it's like there's like a lot of drums and the trumpets like it's different, but it's like the same theme. It's just like it's like arranged differently. Um, and like for 120 plus episodes, that's been the opening theme. And what they did differently is they really structured this like a Star Wars movie. They opened with the Lucasfilm logo, and not just any Lucasfilm logo, the original 1977 Lucasfilm logo. Not the one that looks like the fun, like, gold, like, nameplate. It is green text. Dave Filoni can do whatever he wants. Dave Filoni can do whatever he wants, and it's also sort of like his, like, and the, the first episode is called Old Friends Not Forgotten. And so it's sort of like a meta- text reference to George Lucas himself because this George Lucas was a clone like he he is the executive producer of Clone Wars even if he is not an active participant in its creation right now like Clone Wars is sort of his last Star Wars production 
he is he is like at the end of each episode it says created by George Lucas. So to open with the original 1977 Lucasfilm logo and then do the original theme on top of the the Clone Wars logo instead of the Clone Wars music and then also have a title called Old Friends Not Forgotten. It really sort of hammered home like this is sort of like the last George Lucas production that's actually being shown to everybody and I think that it was sort of like that's what got me emotional within like the yeah. first 30 seconds Aww. so because like I could sort of read immediately like what that was supposed to be it's so it's a reference to you know 40 plus years ago and George Lucas and sort of like the culmination of like 12 years of storytelling 12 plus years because they probably started recording it before 2008 like all this stuff so it's just sort of all coming together I have a question um, and I, I have an answer probably does all of this make A New Hope a little unsatisfying in that having now been told the story of Obi-Wan and Anakin, mm-hmm. their final confrontation in A New Hope is a little bit anticlimactic and doesn't actually feel proper with the way that we've now seen their relationship. Mm-hmm. And, like, is there a weird... I don't know, I guess for me, like, even just the original, even the prequels, having not watched Clone Wars yet, even the prequels make A New Hope, specifically Obi-Wan and A New Hope, a little dissatisfying, where there's like a disconnect there, because it doesn't feel like the Obi-Wan that, like, they had now developed, like, this was the Obi-Wan, like, before all of this happened, and so now, like, A New Hope almost is not quite I almost want a new hope not to re- be remade but like I almost want to like read an arc of Obi-Wan and a new hope knowing all of this backstory now do you see what I'm saying I don't know if I'm making any no, sense I see exactly what you're saying um and uh so fun fact like before the Disney canon became the thing they had this book called the life and legend of Obi-Wan Kenobi which is sort of his journal entries that Luke Skywalker discovers between episodes five and six um it's just sort of like Obi-Wan like his diary essentially um and sort of and like I think they include the events of A New Hope in them so like you sort of get that emotional story that emotional reaction to the events of A New Hope through no that wouldn't be the case I don't know I can't remember but I definitely know it like it went up to his death um, and I, I sort of ag- agree with you that like the, the Alec Guinness performance is sort of different than, uh, than like, like the emotionality that your McGregor gives in Revenge of the Sith. Um, and I think it, I think my brain sort of reconciles it with, he had 20 years in the desert, you know, he obviously probably, you know, he, he, he's a wizened, he's older, he's, you know, less, uh, of a care of the Obi-Wan character and more of like this, like, you know, sort of template, uh, mentor c- character for Luke. Um, and sort of, we're seeing L- Obi-Wan through Luke's eyes instead of like the eyes of the prequels, I guess, I guess it's sort of like, we're seeing like a mysterious old man who has some sort of connection to Luke's dad that we don't know yet. And so like, and you get bits, bit bits of it. Um, and maybe like, our brains are sort of attuned to mythologize 
Obi-Wan and sort of like when he references like Anakin was a, a good friend and a good pilot. Like when he talks about uh, Luke to him in his hut, we sort of like have the visions of the Clone Wars and like the prequels like in our brains and sort of you can see that the, the past characterization uh, sort of like that his his dialogue reconciles or like our brains sort of reconcile that yeah. difference. Uh, and I'm not saying any of this is like a bad thing um, because right. like, right, no, I mean, like didn't have any of this backstory to go off of and it wasn't really like in, like it wasn't created yet like, in 77, but it's just an interesting observation of the way stories are told like over yeah. years and years and the way stories evolve and how you add to them. And it's just an interesting idea that like now we've seen so much more of obi-wan and his relationship with anakin specifically that you know it's interesting to see how it started in 77 and a new hope and like how further it's gotten and you just it it, you know when people create worlds like this like they're naturally going to be expanded upon and i don't think this is like a bad example i think it's just like kind of a natural observation of how that happens this is not some jk rowling bullshit where she expands on her own world in terrible ways just like years later um this is like a course of storytelling that will take you right because like clone wars is like like any tv show it'll have the base for its characters and those characters will uh evolve and expand in ways that maybe they even can't predict when they first start it right exactly i mean like ahsoka was always Ahsoka was always the fan favorite and sort of like the audience surrogate to, surrogate to the Clone Wars and sort of like the, the new main character. But one of the lingering questions uh, throughout Clone Wars original run in 2008 was, so Anakin has a new apprentice, but she doesn't show up in Revenge of the Sith. So where is she by that point? And so right. that's sort of, and then like when Clone Wars was canceled by Cartoon Network and Disney in 2013, that arc hasn't, hadn't been resolved yet. So like the, the character of Ahsoka was sort of left in this weird limbo where no one knows what happens to her after she leaves the Jedi order. Um, and so like, like sort of people think that, Oh, because she left the order, she was safe from order 66, but then she shows up in star Wars rebels and she references things like the siege of Mandalore. And like, uh, she says that like the last time she saw Anakin Skywalker, he was off rescuing the chancellor. So like she, like in rebels, she references like the events of, Clone Wars that are happening right now that are airing on Disney Plus. And so, and so, like, and she had a book. And so, like, the book references things too. And so, like, the her story was sort of being filled in throughout gaps of, like, well, how is Ahsoka, like, surviving Order 66 sort of deal? Um, and so, if you read the book, you sort of know what happens. And they're probably going to show it in the, in, um, in, on Clone Wars because she does show up in Rebels. She and obviously we'll survives. We'll be potentially seeing more of her future in The Mandalorian season two as well. Yeah, live action. Right, which, yeah. which takes place after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, and she shows up at the in the epilogue of Rep, Star Wars Rebels, which takes place post Endor. So there is her. So her arc is ever growing because she's because I th- because like the audience of Clone Wars was really taken with her as a, as an amazing character, but, it, but she is sort of like this interesting focal point of Clone Wars, which is she doesn't, she's not in Revenge of the Sith. She means so much to Anakin Skywalker. So how do you get, how do you tell her story without having it interact with, interfere, I guess, with the events of Revenge of the Sith when she was like, not even, she was probably not even thought of at that point uh, right. when they were making the movie. So, right. Like it's it's such an interesting narrative, or to watch as an audience to see like how 
how the the writers and the the creators are sort of like writing themselves out of this corner, which is like Anakin doesn't have a, an apprentice in episode three. So what do you do with that? Um, another thing I want to mention real quick, and we could we could obviously move on to different topics because no, we're talking a lot about we we love uh, you to hear you talk about Clone Wars, Willoughby. This I do. Is your, I this do. Is your thing. You have a Star Wars sweatshirt. This is you, and I'm, I'm happy to so, hear you talk yeah. about it. But like one last thing, and then we can move on to something else because it's just a, such a it's like the funniest one of the funniest things about Clone Wars is that um, in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin Skywalker meets General Grievous, the droid commander, who looks like the big skeleton guy. Um, for those of you who may not remember who General Grievous was, um, he's the one that goes, General Kenobi! He's the one who has <laughs> um, asthma. Yes. Um, <laughs> A lot of people seem to have breathing and, problems in Star Wars. Uh, well, I mean... Not to get metatextual on you, but General Grievous is supposed to be the precursor to Darth Vader because um, he once was a living flesh organism and all that survived was a brain and organs and they stuffed him into a robot suit. Um, yeah, no, I mean, That's he's gross. supposed to be sort of like the either prototype Darth, Darth Vader or the sort of like narrative, like this is what you can become. Ooh. I mean, but. So at the, at the beginning, when they're captured, um, Anakin Skywalker is like, General Grievous, you're shorter than I expected. And so that line uh. has damned all of Clone Wars because General Grievous is like a main player in the Clone Wars. He's the droid commander. Obi-Wan Kenobi has met him several times, it looks like, by the time when during Revenge of the Sith. They're just, they have sort of like a rapport, a banter. And so, you know, it could be assumed that Obi-Wan and, and Grievous have fought and like all that. So, Clone Wars can never can never have Anakin Skywalker and General Grievous in the same room, and they like weave narratives out of they write themselves out of those corners all the time. So like that's sort of emblematic of like what Clone Wars is trying to do, which is sort of expand the universe and expand the story of the Clone Wars, you know, like and do all these things to make it a fulfilling story, introduce new characters have fun plots that we've never seen before, like tell riveting stories. But then they also can't disrupt the canon of Revenge of the Sith because this this takes place between two canonical movies. So they are they like they are they've put themselves in the into these corners and then they have to write them their their way out of it like all the time. And it's just really fun to watch. And so now they're in the, the last corner, uh, which is the Siege of Mandalore. And so I'm all excited. Uh, I can't wait to like rewatch the whole thing as like a movie, um, and yeah, no. So that's Is Clone Wars for you. In Clone Wars, Jango Fett. Yeah. No, unfortunately, he dies at the Battle of Geonosis in Attack of the Clones. Um, but oh right. Was- oh my God, well, Attack of the Clones. That's a movie I've like tried to scrub from my memory. Many of um, us have. Um, will be hearing you speak about the writing process for the Clone Wars reminds me of another big property that had some somewhat similar. Uh, sort of limitations when creating its story and uh, it's kind of the um, example of what not to do and uh, that's Game of Thrones <laughs> and uh, that that wasn't like leading to wasn't because they were like leading to any kind of movie or prior um, uh, story but it was because they were trying to go towards a certain endpoint that had been laid out for them and um, in doing so, they actually ended up sacrificing some of the more organic parts of the story that had come about as they were making this TV show, and uh, that ended up being quite um, dissatisfying for a lot of the viewers. So uh, it's interesting just that um, 
Clone Wars is succeeding so much where a huge property like the Game of Thrones really just failed completely. Right, and it I think it's even more interesting than Game of Thrones because when Game of Thrones ended, we didn't know how the story ends. Mm-hmm. There was no there's no books. Obviously, George R. R. Martin gave them the ending right. and said that right to that point. But we as the audience don't know that. We know, like, through extraneous material, we know what happens to Ahsoka Tano at the end of the Clone Wars. It's like she's referenced it before in Rebels in, like, the book Ahsoka. So, like, as someone who has read all this, I still know what's going to happen to her. I still know what's going to happen in the events of Revenge of the Sith. I've known the events of Revenge of the Sith since 2005. Clone Wars came out in 2008. So, like, the 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 challenge that Clone Wars gave itself is to tell, written, like, good stories with the perspective of oncoming tragedy. Mm. Like, and I think that, I mean, that's always been sort of what Star Wars, because of the, because of the way George Lucas told the story with having four, five, and six be the first movies, is that any prequel... Um, we'll have sort of like you'll have the base knowledge of this all ends in tragedy uh, in the back of your head, which makes everything sort of there's an extra layer to all the storytelling because like you'll have references to like, you know, Anakin gets super angry and force chokes someone and like the Darth Vader theme will play in the background and you'll just be like, he's like, you know, he, his, his character is ever evolving towards that darkness. Mm. Um Meanwhile, he he is still supposed to be a hero, and so like the the writers are reconciling with those two, with like the fallen Jedi arc as well as the he's the hero with no fear, um, and it's amazing to watch that, and I think that they succeed. And Anya, I know you don't like Anakin Skywalker, um, but I think with Clone Wars, you will see a you will have a if you watch the show, you'll have a deeper appreciation for his character. Maybe that's why and, I'm afraid to watch it. I'm afraid I'm going to like him. <laughs> right, because he he is a bit of a sad boy. Oh, no. Um, but wait, Anya, you love sad boys. I do. Kendall Roy and, and Ben Solo. You're number it's two. It's weird, right, because, like, I love Ben Solo. But, like, when it comes to, like, the prequels and stuff, like, Anakin does nothing for me. And Obi-Wan is right there being perfect. So, I mean, and that's what I think is that, A, it's, like, they sort of... Like going back to the conversation, they they don't redeem his character per se by rec, retconning like who he is as a person, but they they write him better than George Lucas writes him, and they give they get so they give him better dialogue, they give him a better voice actor, Matt Lanter, who is who ha- has done like an amazing job of sort of like giving like breathing actual life into this character. And right. like you can you can see that he is cocky, that he is arrogant, but that he is also deeply conflicted with like his secret marriage to Padme Amidala, his uh, order, you know, his his um, uh, his commitment to the Jedi Order. Like they do a really good job of sort of balancing those two conflicting ideas with him, and also that he is like, you know, overly emotional, and that that can get him in trouble, and that can also save him. Uh, and you it's hard see to wrap that. your head around this character while knowing that he literally slaughters children in <laughs> cold blood. And that's the thing is like there's sort of this ever this impending doom to this character and Clone Wars as a creative body, I think, succeeds in a good job of like sort of showing him like sh- showing him as what he was supposed to be in the Clone Wars and in, in, in the prequel movies. Um, and 
and sort of and sort of and but then also show his, show that darkness that was that's coming. And so I think Clone Wars does a really good job and you should watch it. I mean, I want to. I definitely want to. It's definitely on my list. Um so you'll get all these amazing clone characters. The clones are amazing. I didn't appreciate them on my first go around because I was like, oh, I wanted to talk. I want to see Obi Wan and Anakin. Like, I was, I was sort of like, don't, I don't want to talk about these new guys. I want to see my my favorites. But the clone, like on my on my rewatch, like a couple months ago, like the clones have, you know, per, per, per different personalities. They have they have this brotherly love. Like there is such a fantastic character work with the clone characters that um, I really appreciate. That I think. Anya, even if you don't like Anakin, like there's so many episodes where he doesn't show up that you can watch, where it's it's like a clone character, like or like a like a battalion of clones that you focus on, or Ahsoka, or like uh, clone like or, or Jedi children, like or Obi Wan centric. Like there's so many different. It's not. I mean, Clone Wars was was meant as an anthology show, and so it's not always about the Clone War. The, it's not always about the Jedi. Um, and so I think that that's I think that's what would what I recommend to you is like, it's not, not every episode will star Anakin Skywalker. I mean, you don't need to convince me. And like, honestly, I'm mostly being like facetious when I talk about Anakin in this way. And like, like, I don't want to watch it. Cause I'll like Anakin. Like I'm mostly just teasing. Um, because I, you know, I've heard it's such a good show and like, I really do want to watch it. Um, and Mostly my relationship with Anakin has become like a joke between you and me and our friend. So I just kind of keep going with it. Um, but True. no, I definitely want to watch it. And um, you, you know, you don't need to convince me to watch it, but you definitely just make me more excited to watch it because of Yay. everything you say about it that's and your enthusiasm for it. That's, so That's all I can hope for. I definitely, you know, I definitely want I, to. I think also if you're burnt out by the sequel trilogy and like the rise of Skywalker and like all that Clone Wars is a really good return to the prequels and like the, that universe, that version of the universe and sort of like simpler storytelling um, and just fun, fun, simple stories about a war of clones and droids. Simple. No, simple. no Palpatine clones. Well, I was going to say, simple, oh, except, you know, there, but... Phantom Menace was about, like, taxes and, like, the financial system. Well, there are politics episodes. There are episodes that focus solely on the senators um, and, like, war and, like, bonds and stuff. They still do the prequel thing of, like, we're going to give you an episode about the Senate and you're going to like it. Um, <laughs> I wonder uh, how much of it is Dave Filoni yeah. just being a better, uh, having being a better writer at these things than George Lucas. I mean, that's, like... No joke. It does everything the prequels do, but just better. Right. That's the thing. George Lucas and J.J. Abrams have the same problem, and I will never stop saying this. They are great creative minds, and they are great, like, producers. They are not writers. George Lucas and J.J. Abrams Lucas do is not an editor. They're, they're not writers, and they need to stop pretending they are, because <laughs> we've seen what happens when both of them try to write things, and it doesn't go well. So watch Clone Wars. It's great. It is everything that the prequels intended to be, and they are. So, yeah. That was my 60-minute diatribe on the Clone Wars. Honestly, I love it. Yes. I, 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 I love it. I could have done an episode just listening to you talk about it and asking you questions. We could stop it here, but we won't, because you guys we'll have things stop to talk the episode. about, too. <laughs> um, 
so Anya, what do you what do you have what do you bring to the table yeah. this? Yeah, um, there are three things I want to mention that have been like consuming my time in terms of media. I mean, like I'm doing like the general thing of like the quarantine of like baking, puzzles, reading. I am doing all of that, which is very fun. But we are a pop culture podcast. So I'm going to stick to the pop culture. Um, and there are three things that I just want to mention briefly as like my my quarantine pop culture trends. Um, so the first is. Dane and I are continuing to do our A24 marathon. For those who don't know, Dane and my roommate and I are watching every single A24 movie uh, from release order. Uh, we are up to movie 22 um, out of 96, so we still have a ways to go. Um, and we're doing this because we just really love the company A24, and they put out some of our favorite movies, and so we wanted to just go through and watch everything. And despite the fact that they have put out some really great movies in recent years, wow, there are some truly terrible a24 movies fam what's the worst like, one so far oh, um a glimpse inside the mind of charles swan the third is still my least favorite and that's their very first one <laughs> that was the first one you watched i remember uh-huh not a great it's start awful. it's still probably the le- my least favorite however since then we've had movies like the rover son of a gun barely lethal all truly awful movies the only like, one i've heard of in that um, collection is barely lethal, which I think is the Sophie Turner movie. No, Sophie Turner is a supporting character. Haley Steinfeld. The main character. Yeah, we watched that last night, and we were hoping that it was going to be like bad in like a cheesy, fun teen movie way. Yeah, that's and what it, I thought it, it was. Be just like bad, bad, oh, bad, no. boring, awful. One of the worst scripts I've ever seen acted in my life. Um, it's a bad movie. So Poor Haley. That came off right off Edge of Seventeen, too, I think, which is a bad, like, follow-up. I know, I know. So there have been some true duds in A24's history, and I'm sure we are bound to hit more of them. Um, but, you know, there are also some great movies. And, uh, movie number 20 is Ex Machina, which we've both seen before, and is definitely at the top of my list, because we're ranking them as we watch them. Um, but I've seen some movies that I've never seen before that I really loved. There's a Western with Michael Fassbender called Slow West, which I really loved. Um, Locke, which I mentioned before with Tom Hardy. Uh, Obvious Child with Jenny Slate. And so like there are some really, there's some great gems in here. Um, and so we're continuing that marathon and it's going really well and I'm loving that. Um, also watching a lot of TV. Um, Killing Eve came back, Insecure came back. So I'm watching all of my normal shows, but I'm excited about new shows. I started watching Run on HBO and it's so good to have Donald Gleason on my screen every week. Ugh, blessed, blessed Donald Gleason. I know, I saw that show and I was like, wow, I feel like this is made for Anya. It's so good. And he and Merritt Weaver have undeniable chemistry. Okay, so wait, one thing I heard about uh, Run uh, in the, a short description I've heard from someone who watched it and liked it, is that it's the before trilogy, but as a sort of heist series? Yeah, I think you can sort of say that. So the premise of Run is you find out Donald Gleason and Merritt Weaver uh, went to college together, we presume. There have been some hints at that. And they seem to have this pact. We don't know the full details of it. But basically, Merritt Weaver receives a text from Donald Gleason's character that says, Run. She texts Run back. And the next thing you know, they are on this train together. Um, and we don't know where they're going. Or what it means, but it basically is like the premise is the idea of like they're both like deciding they want to leave their lives, like escape their lives, and this was like the pact they had was to like text run and get on this train, um, and Anyways, that's all we really know. The so reason far. I brought that up is because hey, if you like this series, maybe you'll like the Before trilogy. Hey, 
hey, hey, I'm not not watching the Four Children because I have no interest in it. I do want to watch it. There's a lot of media to consume, HT. I know, I know, I know. Um... I will get to I promise. I want to watch the Before Trilogy. I promise. Um, I do want to but... say, uh, well, before you were, when you were talking about the A24 stuff, I wanted to chime in because, but I, there's an alarm going out, going on outside my, my door. Sure. So I was, I wasn't able to, but I just want to say Obvious Child, great movie. Such a good movie. So good. Yeah. Can Obvious Child is fantastic. Um, so yeah, so Run on HBO uh, has been great. The second episode aired last night. So we're still in the early days, but I'm loving it so far. Um, the Netflix reality series Trifecta is finally complete. They oh, released no. two Handle last week, and it has been oh, no. by far my favorite of the Netflix reality series so far. Too Hot to Handle is fucking absurd. It is ridiculous, and I could not get enough That's of it. it. It looks like the craziest and messiest of all of the Netflix reality shows. I, I don't know if I could handle it. I don't know I if it, it might be too hot for me to handle. <laughs> here's the thing it starts out as the most absurd thing it's about these really hot people who just love sex and like are commitment phobes and they're on this like tropical they island are, together the whole point of the show is that they can't like putting they're like clearly like the horniest people on tv right now. yes and they can't have physical con well they can't have sexual contact no kissing no sex no like foreplay they can cuddle they can hug um but if anytime they have an infraction, like a kiss or something, they lose money from their pot, uh, which they will win at the end. Um, so an absurd premise that has some weird, like, morality policing, which I don't always love. But then, all of a sudden, the show gets, like, weirdly wholesome. Yeah. It does the circle thing, where it's, like, <laughs> these people who... Masculinity? Right. Like, these people are, like, having, like, conversations with, e- with each other, and, like, they're they're actually becoming, like friends and like yeah not just like not just like, like fuck buddies and the thing is the thing about the show is that like there's nothing wrong with being fuck buddies like correct I, this show like this show kind of operates in this black and white world where like making deeper connections is the only way to be like a good human where it's like no it's not you can sleep around if you want to as long as you're being safe and consensual um so like i don't like that sort of element but the contestants they got are really fun and really charming and totally batshit. And I love all of them so much. And David, this one British guy becomes like the angel of the entire series. And we just want good things for him. Um, And there are like workshops and it becomes weirdly wholesome and great, even though it's like still not like, it's still terrible, but you like, it's still trash reality shows, but there's like the, there are these gold nuggets of them like having these workshops where like a, so, someone will come to this island or wherever they're at and they'll talk they'll do like um i think the one workshop that i that i really thought was interesting was the one where they just stared into each other's eyes and like and like they and then like the men got emotional because they're like we've they're like i've never had a, an, uh, an interaction like this before in my life and it's like overwhelming like david i think the the, the one you mentioned he's like yeah he's like I'm, I'm he's like i don't know what's happening to me i'm crying right now and i wasn't expecting that and i'm like i'm getting emotional too because i wasn't expecting this either but then it's also like let's go pretend you know let's go break the rules and have sex later on it, or like it it's absurd um so it's it's the right to following the circle and love is blind it's been my favorite so far because it's i think it's the most fun um and it's the most ridiculous and this is um, most getting to quarantine right now too because everyone's horny and and no one can touch each other. That's the crazy thing, right? They, they filmed this a year ago, and like, who could have predicted that it would have been like 
so appropriate when it, it is. Can we just talk, to, to, like, look at the three that that we've to, where, that they've released, which is The Circle, a show about eight individuals being quarantined into into one bedroom apartments, only be able to talk to each other through uh, social media. Love is Blind, where they can't see each other and they make relationships before they even get married. And then uh, Too Hot to Handle, which is about no touching, but forming like emotional connections. Like this, like the way Netflix is sort of like, they probably, you know, obviously they filmed these months or even years ago and they are now releasing them. But like the circle was released on New Year's Day, which like the coronavirus was like a glimmer in everyone's conversations. Like no one was talking about it. And then Love is Blind comes out like Valentine's Day or like a week before Valentine's Day. Like they are, there is conversation about the coronavirus happening, but there's no lockdowns yet. Mm. And like, it, like the lockdowns happen like a week later after the, the show's re- like finale. And so now we're fully into quarantine and Too Hot to Handle is, is released. You know, who knows if Netflix planned th- this one or if it was just sort of on their schedule. But it, it's so interesting how these three come out. In, in, and they talk about the you know the intersection of technology, modern day dating and co- connection forming through digital or in person is sort of a constant theme in all these shows. Like it's so fascinating that these three reality shows come out in this quick succession, and they're all about very similar things. It's they come out at very wild, like prime time. Like they're I'm all social like, experiments as a reality show. Exactly. Yeah, they're and all, like no one could have predicted this. Have like. They're Black Mirror rip-offs that some of them have wholesome, uh, you know, actual scenes and stuff. So I'm impressed with Netflix. It's, yeah, it's really fascinating to watch. Um, so go watch Too Hot to Handle. It's only eight episodes. The longest episodes are, like, in the 40-minute range. The shorter ones are in the 30-minute range. So, like, it's really easy to just binge through your way. Um, and it's so fun and ridiculous. Um, real quick, one last thing. Um, I just want to give a shout-out the vinyl pop culture thing that's keeping me sane right now and keeping me happy is theater. I mentioned before my love of theater. Um, it's well known on this podcast. Um, but the theater community is really coming together in a way that I find really inspiring in that they are providing content, but they're also like inspiring charitable works and, you know, really having hope and optimism in the face of everything. Um, and so the fact that so many shows are being offered to stream for free for a limited time to let people see them because one of the biggest problems with theater is inaccessibility and the fact that it like really plays on class stratification. So the fact that theater is coming together and like letting people consume it and enjoy it during this time makes me really happy. Um, over the weekend, Dana and I watched both Phantom of the Opera and Love Never Dies. Um, the, oh, Android Weber. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm Your happy. Your favorite composer I'm, I'm, that you love to hate. That I love to hate, but you know what? I am done being self-deprecating about this, and I'm just going to embrace the things that make me happy. And if they are melodramatic musicals about a like insane masked organ player, then whatever. I like what I like, and I'm just going to embrace that. And you can't stop me. Yeah, and it's theater like Broadway. Like I love musicals. Like they are such a bomb to my soul. And so I've been listening to a lot of Broadway albums during quarantine and it's one of my biggest comforts right now. And so I'm just going to keep embracing that. Did you watch the Disney, uh, live stream? I did. It was so cute. 
I thought it was really charming. It was really funny to me when Zac Efron came on to introduce the High School Musical cast and then disappeared during the song. He was like, I don't have a good internet connection. And I was like, okay, Zac Efron. He also didn't sing during that song because he didn't sing during any of the the first movie uh, on on the track. It was, um, oh, right. yeah, it was what it, I can't remember. He had a voice name, double. But yeah, it was because apparently he, I thought it was because they were like, he doesn't have the right octave at this point in his yeah, life. Well, like, it's because like the other guy was cast enough. first and then they, they cast Zac oh. Efron. Um, and, really? um, yeah, because like the guy like saying all of the songs and it was written for him in his, in, in his octave and, uh, Zac Efron doesn't, it wasn't able to sing it in the, his own octave. So they just kind of kept the other guy for his voice. And, um, and then yeah. they re- when they wrote songs for him in two and three, they were like, yeah. correct octave now? Yeah. yeah. And, but they couldn't the, uh... just transpose? <laughs> nope. But yeah, then the other guy actually went on the tour for the first movie's like uh, concert tour. So fun facts that I know way At too least, much I of. I guess there's no ill will there. Apparently, because I love High School Musical, but I forget his name, so I feel really bad. Sorry, guy. His name is Braff Defron. <laughs> Raft Efron, Raft shout Efron. out to you. Um, so yeah, so that's pop culture I've been loving right now. Um, HT, why don't you round us out and talk about some of your pop culture enjoyment in quarantine? Yeah, I've been, you know, watching a lot Please of just talk about fruit movies. basket. You know, that's actually what I was gonna say. I was gonna try to be all, you know, a very no, uh... no, don't. <laughs> Don't, don't. Calm and reasonable, talking about how I've been expanding my movie uh, knowledge and repertoire. But really, all I've been thinking about for the past three weeks is Fruits Basket. Literally, I live for the sake of watching the new Fruits Basket episodes. It's really sad. Like, every Monday, I, like, wake up and I'm like, okay, the next Fruits Basket episode airs at 1.30 p.m. today, E.T., and I work thinking about how I'm going to take my lunch break at exactly 1.30 p.m. Oh and my watch God. the new episode. And then the rest of the day, I spend watching reaction videos to the Fruits Basket episode and reading the Reddit forum, talking, looking at reactions to the Fruits Basket episode. Reaction videos? Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. That's how far I've gone. And I've been looking, you know, is... I've been haunting Tumblr, too. Just, watch, read, just scrolling, looking for new content of Fruits Basket. This is the greatest thing I've ever I heard love in my life. Fruits Basket so much. Oh, hold on. Hold that thought, guys. I'm going to bring a very okay. special present that Anya gave me. I will continue the podcast. So, so HC is a weeb. Anya, you're a theater nerd, and I'm a Star Wars nerd. And I think that makes us all very I have, I have to have Kyo accompany me on this, um, on this conversation. So, Anya... Yeah best host best friend that she is sent me this cute little little keychain of kyo soma my favorite character in fruits basket my baby boy my son my husband i love him i love him there's a lot there there's a lot to unpack with that sentence (laughs) heck yeah heck yeah best boy anyways um this is a more um, faithful adaptation to the manga, correct? It is. It is indeed. It's um, being uh, overseen by the mangaka, the author, Natsuki, Takai- Natsuki Takaya. And she was um, infamously unhappy with the original 2001 adaptation because it uh, veered so much from her original manga. And she does not like how you know it kind of played out, although it's considered a classic anime in a lot of people's minds. So this new anime, which... It's really which, cute. It was really I, like, cute. I, remember, 
I really liked the 2001. I thought it was really cute. Yeah. But like then having read the entire manga series and realized how dark the manga gets. Yeah. And how much they left out of that 2001 series because they just did not go anywhere near like how dark the original manga yeah, series like, is. Not, it doesn't capture the scope of the original, like the Fruits Basket manga. It really, it's very wholesome slice of life mon- uh, anime that uh, really leans into the gag um, and comedy of excuse me, the original. <laughs> I was drinking beer, so I just burped. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> she has been drinking beer this entire time. It's been really hilarious to watch. <laughs> you know, I was just sitting back, watching Fruits Basket, drinking beers, having a good time. Um, your best life HD your best quarantine life you know what I I, I gotta I gotta do that and um, so yeah the um, the original definitely got a lot darker and it delved into uh, aspects of mental illness trauma abuse that the original never really dived into and gender identity too yeah it's actually interesting Natsuchi Kataya like touches on that but I feel like she doesn't have the capacity or like the um, audience to really delve into it so I feel like the anime actually has done a little bit more exploration to it um, like Ritsu for example I know you haven't seen the anime yet uh, the new anime yet but uh, Ritsu who um, in the uh, manga is a cross-dresser uh, they have in the manga him kind of uh, going back to dressing into men's clothes but in the anime they actually keep him in his kimono the entire time and they don't make the whole Dang. thing that he dresses as a woman like part of his problem quote unquote they kind of just talk about his self-confidence so um that's that. so it's not like so he still does he is still is sort of like gender queer yeah in the anime but it's not like brought up as like this is a problem yeah. because it's 2020 and it's not yeah do you know if they are um going the traditional manga route with Akito? they are they're keeping okay. their identity or their gender identity like secret and it's kind of the same Going, building up to the same reveal. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's um. So the Ritsu thing, I was actually really happy for because I remember even reading it back in middle school. This it kind of played a little bit weird. Um, but uh, I'm just, I'm just so excited for it to be back, guys. I actually have a whole thought that I'm, I want to file turn into an essay. But watching the new, an- the new anime, it occurred to me that um, they are. In the, in the way that um, the Zodiac is kind of a fable using animals and everything like that, this is almost a fable for uh, mental illnesses and disabilities. For example, the Kyo revelation in the final episode of the anime, which they kept as the final episode from the original anime, uh, his, of his true form, it made me think a lot about... Um, disability like people with disabilities and how often the pe- sometimes the people who uh try who raise them and try to and like say that they love them don't have the capacity to acknowledge those disabilities they just kind of try to uh hide it underneath um the table and in the new anime that he talks about how he just wanted his mom and or someone to just acknowledge him warts and all and to you know say like maybe this disability this thing bothers them or scares them or frightens them and yet they will still accept that and I was like oh wow that's actually a really nice sort of parallel to how people deal with like disabilities and like 
real world and I wondered if that was sort of uh, something that I could you could apply to other the other uh, topics in Fruits Basket I love that so much yeah I love that a lot and I am so like like Clone Wars Fruits Basket the new anime is definitely on my list to watch um and I'm just so glad that you like it so much because I feel like that your opinion is the one that I care about the most when it comes to this um do you know um uh, ignoring the whole dub versus sub mm-hmm. argument because it's really stupid um one thing about the 2001 series that I loved is I actually thought their dub cast was really good um is it the same dub cast this time they around? brought back the same dub cast Laura Bailey's back Laura um, Bailey. uh Jerry Jewell is back Everyone, Eric Vale is back, so they brought back everyone except for the uh, kid who played Hirosomo. He actually has been cast, Aaron Desmuke has been cast in a new role in uh, as a Kakeru. Oh! So, yeah, so they bring, they're bringing back some of like the, even the old VAs who have aged out of those roles into different roles. That's really fun. Yeah. And do you know, are we, because um, I don't know like how far the first season got in terms of the manga mm-hmm. or the second season, but like are we going to be seeing characters from the manga that were not in the original series like Rin yes. and... Yeah, so All right. um, basically the first season kind of covered what the original anime had with a little bit more backstory. We see Uo and Hana's backstories, which is really great. Like, Uo's backstory is so excellently done. It might have been like one of the best episodes of that first season. And um, we do – and. The new, the second season is basically like all new content um, that has not been adapted before. So we've already met the some of the class council, so like Machi and Kakeru, and um, we're about to meet Rin next episode, and um, it's it's really great so far. Like last week was one of my favorite episodes of Fruits Basket in general. I I tweeted about the video about it today, the laundry analogy that was made by Shigure about so good. that was um about dealing with your anxieties and taking it one day at a time. And I, I really, really adore adored that um, analogy when I first read it in, in middle school. And I love it even more so now. And it really, it applies very much now too about like, you know, being overwhelmed by anxieties and uh, feeling like you have a mountain to climb and only the only way you can really tackle it is just to do it like one step at a time and look at what, what's right ahead of you instead of trying to look at the big picture all the time and being overwhelmed and just take a step back when you can so yeah I don't need therapy when I have fruits basket and it you really absolutely do not I do not you it's just, absolutely do not it's life lessons are so beautifully stated um it the new anime does scale back a lot of the comedy in favor of those darker moments I think that they're definitely looking to, looking forward to doing some of those more darker elements so you can kind of tell in the first season where they're like I love it some foreshadowing I love it. yeah so. Okay, tell me one final thing. You are a Kyo girl. I am. I love him. I am a Hattori girl. Yes. How much am I going to love Hattori in this new anime? Oh, he's so hot in this new anime. <sighs> wow. I remember uh, thinking that he was pretty attractive in the first anime. And then in this one, like when you compare it side by side, I was like, wow, he's so much hotter now. Hattori is, whew, I love him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Him and him and Shigure. I'm a Shigure apologist. Shigure is a, a character I don't love because of the things that he does later on, he's and he's kind of a twisted bastard. He's so problematic, but like, I still sort of love him. I can't help it. There's, but Hattori is my number one. Yeah, there's an official Fruits Basket T-shirt that I was considering buying, but it has Shigure in addition to Kyo and Yuki. And I'm like, oh, man, if only they had Toru instead of Shigure, then I would totally buy it. But then I might just buy it after all. Because you know what? Just got to embrace 
got to embrace everything about that anime. I, I, just, I just I just love this story so much, guys. Ugh. And um, I need to watch the new anime. I need to watch it so bad. If it takes you a couple episodes to get into it, um, that's fine because it took me a little, a few episodes too. Because I was like, oh, it's just kind of rehashing the manga, but with like an updated art style. And even then, some of the character designs are a little wonky. But there's a nice addition they make in, um, I think episode six or something. It was the, the episode. Um, I'll see you when you get back with the New Year's thing. That is really, really beautiful done and gets into Toru's um, own sort of, uh, no, no, not, not the New Year's episode, the one where she goes back to her family for the first time. Toru is an actual angel She's on She's an Earth. angel. I wrote up, um, uh, I wrote about Fruits Basket in a, a, a column that we're doing for OnSlashFilm.com called The Quarantine Stream, in which we're talking about what we're streaming at the time to get us through uh, the quarantine. And I wrote about Fruits Basket, of course. Good. And uh, I comp- in it, I compared uh, Toru to a high school anime version of Paddington. Like, she, oh my goodness! It's, isn't it? Isn't it so true? It's she's just that is a, very apt. A really kind and gentle and compassionate person, and she changes the world through her compassion. And that's what's so amazing. It's like kindness is her power. Stop calling her weak. It's that's why, like, that's why that's part of why I love Hattori's back. Hattori's backstory is because mm-hmm. Kana is so Kana. Kana. Mm-hmm. Kana, right? Yeah. Kana is so similar to Toru. And that, like, it's her kindness that, like, is, you know, is part of the tragedy of her story with Hattori. It's her warmth that melts through his snow. Exactly. And, like, there's a reason that Toru, over anyone else, could, like, kind of get into the Soma family and really kind of nestle her way in there. And... And this makes me emotional and I really need to start watching this anime. I love Fruits Basket so much. Uh, So the entire dub is actually, uh, of the first season, is on Hulu right now. Oh! So you can watch the entire... Yeah. yeah. I know you like the dub version, so and they're all... All the dubbed episodes of season one are on Hulu. And uh, Crunchyroll is doing the weekly releases of the subs. Funimation is doing the weekly okay. releases of the, of the dubs. So they're still okay. doing the dubs for the second season so far, unless, like, COVID, um, you know, pushes them back. Yeah. But uh, they're, they seem to be going strong, and... Um, it's it's really great, Anya. I'm just I'm really excited. I hope that you watch it. I want to to hear what you think about it. And um, I need to just like watch both this and Clone Wars for the two of you and be like, okay, the animated series. I'm gonna watch them for Willoughby and for HT and my own happiness. Yay. Um, well, before we wrap, finish the episode, HT, do you have anything else you just want to add about your pop culture quarantine? No, I did only want to talk about Fruits Basket. You were right, Anya. You cut to the chase, so. Listen, we all are also watching new movies and, you know, being cultured. But, you know, also we just want to watch Star Wars and Phantom of the Opera and Fruits Basket. And there is nothing wrong with that. Yes. I, you know, I watched, I watched Moonstruck. I watched Rear Window. I watched Sunset Boulevard the other day. Yeah, exactly. We, I did a Lord of the Rings marathon on Saturday. So. There you go. Yes, yeah. we're, we're culturizing ourselves, so we can talk mm-hmm. about our anime. Anya, what? Did you get the extended? Oh, of course. No, I don't. I don't even own the theatrical editions. Good, good. Neither do I. Because <laughs> the, the 
Why? Why would you? Yes, good. So the Blu-ray is like a really nice like packaging, so it's really fun. It's Ooh. so nice, man. You know there was that tweet that was going around of like what's a like a movie that's like a miracle that it exists. And yeah, whenever yeah. I think about that, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the first one I always think of because like yeah. not only is it a miracle that it exists, but I think it's a miracle that that trilogy is as good as it is. Like Lord of the Rings yeah. could have made and could have just been like kind of not great especially because like you think about the fact that it came out around the same time as the star wars prequels and if you look at them side by side i mean the hobbit is the is the pre they are the star wars well the hobbit is like what the lord of the rings trilogy could have been in a world where it didn't become amazing i was thinking about this i was thinking about this the lord of the rings exists the production of the lord of the rings movies existed at a time where too early, it would not have looked as good. Too late, and it also would not have looked as good because it would have been a CGI goop mess, mm. um, which is what you sort of get with the Battle of the Five Armies. Like they, he, like they, because they filmed everything almost as practical as you can do with like the miniatures of the cities and the places, and like the 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 Battle of Helm's Deep is one of the well, most well shot at night rainy battles as you can as you could possibly like imagine it to be and yeah. like every other battle like that pales in comparison Cop like game of I'm, looking at, I'm looking at uh godzilla king of the monsters as like the like the most recent example besides game of thrones like you know all these movies are like we're gonna shoot it in the dark and it's gonna be at rain so you could you know everything is obscure and peter jackson is like you're like theoden is gonna be lit from behind and it's gonna be like moonlight like <sighs> so like good. It's so good, those and those movies, movies are perfect. And it's like it—it it blows my mind every time I think about the fact that they exist and they exist how they do. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just—it like is, I've it watched astonishing. I've watched all the behind-the-scenes appendices of me too. That, like when they were so on the on the DVDs that came out when they released the extended edition. So like I've seen how they made these movies, but every time I watch these movies, I'm like, how did they make these movies? It's, I know. It is a miracle. It's just amazing that it got made and that they are as good and you know that they got recognized by the Academy. Yes. That's amazing. Yes, yes. And I mean, so that's just a, a little note to all of you guys. If you guys haven't seen Lord of the Rings, or you have, but it's been a while, use this time to go rewatch Lord of the Rings because it is so worth it. I personally want to do a rewatch of Titanic soon as like another Ooh. epic movie that like I still remember very well. I did that um, recently and it's so good. It's We watched I it with several that. people who hadn't seen it before and they were just astonished by how good it was. Like it, it's, it's such a good it's movie. Every, everything you need in a movie it's every genre it's you know it's parasite before parasite because it's like it's a romance it's a disaster movie it's an action movie it's got everything and you know it is and it's got class commentary and just like the last half when it becomes a full-fledged like action disaster movie it's just like it's amazing holy crap i would say also use this time to go watch those epic movies that might seem intimidating too long daunting use this time go watch them because like they are they have the history and like the reputations they have for a reason and it's worth watching right. them. Like go watch Lord of the Rings, you, you know, go watch Titanic, go watch Clone Wars, go watch Fruits Basket, go watch these Broadway move plays that they're watch streaming. Everything. Like there is so much like, you know, it's an unfortunate time that we're living in. The benefit if there is any is that there is more time to watch things that maybe you wouldn't normally watch and sort of, you know, cross things off your watch list on Letterboxd and stuff like that. So I definitely recommend it. I recommend 
you can watch all three Lord of the Rings movies in one day. We started at like 9:30, and or we started it around like 10 o'clock in the morning. We ended it around 9:30 at night. We bar- like we didn't even, like we've, we've watched these movies before, so we don't have to like pause before we go to the bathroom or anything. But like we we basically did nonstop marathon with like no break. Um, and if you can do it all in a day, it's they're so good movies. Do it. Um, and I also recommend pair. I recommend pairing it with banana pancakes right beforehand, which is what I did. Um, Amazing. Yes, good. Do it and be legends with us. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say that how funny it is that that reference is like two years old at this point, and it's an obscure reference to a Fire Festival article. (laughs) Right. It's it's an obscure reference to a quote that the founder of Fire Festival said that like sort of took us by storm. (laughs) It's became the meme of pretty like, bananas. Let's just do it be legends, man. It is. It is bananas. It is. Um. So yeah, do it and be legends. Go watch what you want to watch, and you know, just stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself in this hard time. And it's okay if you're not feeling okay. And you know, we love all of you. And I think that's where we're gonna end our episode. We won't do really like because we kind of talked about things we're really liking right now. Um. But if you want to come chat with us about any of these things or what you're enjoying in quarantine, Willoughby, where can they come talk to us? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me crying about the Lucasfilm logo on Twitter. All right. Where? On Twitter. (laughs) Okay. At Willoughby Dobbs. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.